Hello again, fight fans. Welcome to the Neutral Corner, episode 119. I am Michael Montero for Boxing Monthly Magazine and BoxingMonthly.com. Real quick, I wanted to say thank you to our new Patreon members. Guys, we had a few of you sign on in the last week or so, and a couple of you inquire about MOB t-shirts. If you guys are interested in Montero Unboxing t-shirts, please email me at MonteroUnboxing at gmail.com and uh, we'll give you all the details. But special, special shout out to our new Patreon supporters. Thank you so, so much. Guys, with all the uh, non-invites I've been getting recently, uh, it's more apparent now than ever that uh, being an independent broker in this uh, boxing media game, <laughs> it's tough, man. It is tough. But uh, you know I'm going to keep it real. In fact, I had some uh, back and forth with Mauricio Suleiman in the WBC today, once again on Twitter. But uh, thanks again to the Patreon supporters. You guys are awesome. And everybody that supports the MLB channel. And, of course, the, the uh, Neutral Corner podcast on Apple Podcast, iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, all of you guys who have been spreading the word, leaving us ratings, reviews, and subscribing, cannot thank you enough. This thing just keeps building and building week by week. It's crazy to think where we're going to be in five, ten years. I really think we're going to have our own network or something like that. It's going to be amazing. All right, guys, a lot of news and notes to catch up on, so let's get right to it. All right, let's start news and notes with a buzzkill. So, Oleksandr Usyk injures his elbow, postponing his World Boxing Super Series finale with Murat Gassiev that was scheduled on May 11th. Uh, there's no date or venue even set right now for the, the, uh, the whenever the final is going to happen. It was supposed to happen in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. I don't know if that's still going on or, or what. I know that the super middleweight finale was going to move to the UK, and I know that they originally had a May date as well, but um, there was an injury there for uh, George Groves, so that's been postponed as well. So kind of a buzzkill, man, because you go back to the beginning of this year, the first quarter of the year, we thought we were going to have the World Boxing Super Series finale, both the Cruiserweight and Super Middleweight divisions, here in the second quarter. And that really would have helped out, especially considering with the, the absolute uh, cluster F that is the Canelo-Golovkin rematch situation. So uh, we really could have saved face a lot in May with this you know, final between Usyk and Gassiev. It's still going down. It's just going to be pushed back a little later this year. So the World Boxing Super Series has also announced that um, they are going to announce a season two of the tournament, and it's going to be two different weight classes. So probably sometime in May, they will announce which weight classes are going to be in season two. Now, this is, you know, it could go a million different ways. And I'm really, really curious to see which way it goes because there are several divisions in boxing right now that are getting loaded full of talent. And if they got the right guys to join, man, we could be in store for another great season. But I told you guys, I think I've been saying it for the last year, really since this tournament started, and they've done very, very well internationally with it that there would be another season pretty soon and that they'd be announcing that by the end of this year. And here we go. It's going to be within the next month. We'll know uh, what it's going to look like. All right. Manny Pacquiao. Always drama with Manny Pac-Man Pacquiao. So apparently he's cut ties with trainer Freddie Roach. And in some recent interviews, uh, he said that he was going to go with Boo Boy Fernandez for his upcoming fight against Lucas Batisse. And he was, I guess, a little butthurt at some comments Freddie Roach has made in recent interviews about Manny Pacquiao's health, concerns for his long-term health, saying that uh, Manny's been phoning it in uh, and training and everything else and that he should retire. Basically what guys like me have been saying about Pacquiao for four or five years now, Pacquiao is strictly fighting for the money. And Pacquiao always asked Freddie to be honest with him. And Freddie said he would be honest with him. Freddie loves Pacquiao like his son. He, he honestly loves him, and I believe Manny loves Freddie as well. They've been together well over a decade, going on two decades, they've been together. So we, you, that's a relationship that is like family. And sometimes with family, you beef and you have falling out, you know, fallings out. I don't know, how do you say that in past tense? <laughs> uh, but these guys, you know, have had a falling out recently, and it's more or less just because Manny doesn't want to hear the truth, man. But this guy, look, Michael Kantz. Some of this is the Michael Kantz effect. 
But Michael Kantz gets a bad rap, and it's, some of it's deservingly so, because ever since he started meddling in Pacquiao's career, yeah, Pacquiao's become an even bigger international super, superstar. That is true. But how is his career inside the ring gone since Michael Kantz joined on? Think about that for a second. The dynamic fighter that we saw at one point kind of started to decline once Kant's got involved. It's not just Kant's, though. It's a bunch of people, and most of them are Filipino politicians and slash celebrities that just hang on to this guy, Pacquiao, drain his pockets, and whisper things in his ear constantly. And you know that there are people around this guy telling him, you still got it. You could still come back. You could still be champion. And with the, the situation with the Jeff Horn fight, which was a close, grueling fight that I still feel Pacquiao won, but there are people out there that feel Horn legitimately won. He won on the cards. It was in Australia. The whole point that that fight even happened, and it was in Australia, should have shown Pacquiao how, how far he slid. And now he's fighting Matisse in Malaysia. What does that tell you? Anybody that had their finger on the pulse of reality would know that it's beyond over. But when you've got beyond dozens, it's actually hundreds of hangers-on and important people in your country telling you, come on, man, you could do this, you could do this, you still got it. You got to keep on fighting. The people need you. You're an inspiration, blah, blah, blah. You're going to keep going. On top of that, this guy, Pacquiao, and this is a phrase that I've been using for years to describe him. I mean, over a decade now. He has spent money he ain't made yet. That Mayweather money, gone. You guys have all heard the stories about Bob Arum having to wire money to casinos to cover Manny's line. He's got tax burdens in more than one country. That's part of the reason he's not fighting in America as well. So all this going on, he's been brutally knocked out. But beyond that, he's been fighting guys who are naturally bigger for years now, for going on a decade. Pacquiao is still a blown up lightweight, guys. At his peak physical prime, he was a lightweight. He did his best work as a fighter, arguably, at 126 to 130, right in there. He was more famous for his work at 140, 147, but he was at his best 10 pounds you know, lower. So this guy's been fighting naturally bigger fighters now for, what, a decade? And he's been getting touched up a lot. So you factor all this in, it's going to end poorly with his health. There's going to be issues with Manny long term. It's basically going to be Muhammad Ali 2.0. Now, he doesn't take the beatings Ali took. He's not quite the whore Ali was with the people that were using him. I mean, just beyond the level of classlessness that some of these people used Ali, it's not quite that bad with Pacquiao. He does have people who actually care about him trying to protect him. But those guys like Bob Arum, Freddie Roach, they're going to get squeezed out here eventually in the coming years. And it's going to get ugly. Apparently, Freddie didn't even get a phone call. But because of some of the fallback on social media or blowback, I should say, on social media and all that, uh, Pacquiao had posted a subsequent, uh, I think it was Instagram, post on social media, uh, kind of taking a step back and saying, no, 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 uh, me and Freddie are still cool. Nothing's confirmed yet. I'm going to let Freddie know what's going on. I haven't made a decision about my training, blah, 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 blah. Guys, there's trouble in paradise. But to say that there's trouble in paradise with Manny Pacquiao, that's basically to say that uh, there's 24 hours in the day or that, you know, water's wet and the sky is blue. It just is how it, it just, it's always been that way with him. And it's not going to end well. Let's see, what else? Eddie Hearn, apparently, according to experts all over Twitter and uh, YouTube and everywhere else, made a legitimate $12.5 million flat fee offered to Deontay Wilder to fight Anthony Joshua. I can't believe that anybody is spending more than five seconds being upset about this and accepting it as a real offer. I immediately tweeted about this the day that it started to come out that Eddie Hearn's flat fee offer to Deontay Wilder was every bit as legitimate as Golden Boy Promotions' flat fee offer to Gennady Golovkin two years ago and Floyd Mayweather's flat fee offer to Manny Pacquiao several years ago. Basically, it's bullshit. 
It's a stall tactic. It's all part of the sausage being made. It's the oldest promoter trick in the book to, I don't want to say protect your fighter, but to prolong and further build up the super fight with their biggest threat when you're not quite ready to pull the trigger on that fight quite yet. I've been telling everyone who would listen that fight will not happen this year between Wilder and Joshua. It will happen next year. But guess what? All of you who have been making two-hour-long chat videos bitching about this, all of you who have been playing um, boxing promoter expert and financial analyst and breaking down the numbers all over social media, it's not just YouTube, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's Facebook, it's, uh, there's plenty of clickbait on boxing sites like Boxing Scene and, and stuff like that. Uh, you know, even the more reputable boxing sites talking about this stuff. All you people are doing is what Eddie Hearn wants you to do, and Team Wilder to a degree as well. You're just promoting the eventual fight. You're doing the same thing you did for Golden Boy when they were trying to promote the fight between Canelo and Golovkin, and the same thing all the Floyd Mayweather wackos did for him on social media promoting his fight with Manny Pacquiao. Guys, I can't believe people fall for this stuff. You're doing the work of the promoter for them. Sit back, relax, understand that these guys are very very smart they know what the numbers behind all this is both sides realize what the numbers are so they know what's bullshit and what's not whatever you see posted this year related to that fight is crap next year we'll start talking serious all right speaking of golden boy promotions the president oscar de la hoya allegedly was being extorted by two women who call themselves Instagram models. Whatever that is. That's like being the smartest kid with Down syndrome, I guess. Um, they were extorting him for $2 million over a sex tape where apparently they were performing sex acts on Oscar De La Hoya. They were all really messed up, drinking, drugs, I don't know. But they were performing sex acts on him with quote-unquote kitchen utensils. Now this gives a whole new meaning to the term spooning. You know, stick a fork in her. She's done. Hey, beat my eggs, bitch. Oscar basted her turkey. You can get a lot done with a good pair of tongs. A pizza slicer. So a, a pizza slicer, potato peeler, and cheese grater walk into a bar. All right, guys. I don't know how many more I can, <laughs> I can go up with. Uh, I don't know, man. Oscar's into some freaky shit. And you know what? Sexuality is like religion. It's like politics. It's one of those things where everyone has a personal... Uh, everyone's is a little bit different. There's no, there's no two people who have the exact same spirituality, sexuality, um, philosophy on the universe and life. And it's, you know, it's, it's like your own fingerprint, right? Some people are into some freaky ass shit and you know what? Hey, have fun. Enjoy yourself. You only get one life to live on this earth and then you're dead and you're rotting the ground and that's it. So you might as well do what makes you happy. Now, if shoving a kitchen utensil up your ass is what makes you happy, I don't quite understand it. It's not my cup of tea. Cup of tea. How could he use a cup of tea? I'm sure maybe there was a cup of tea involved here. But it's not my cup of tea. But if that's what makes you happy, good for you. But here's the thing. If you are a famous person, you are a wealthy person, particularly a famous wealthy man, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and have a hashtag me too sexist moment here. If you are a famous man with money, you are a target. This is the flip side of the sexist debate that never gets talked about. And you're not going to hear feminist and CNN people talking about this. But men like Oscar De La Hoya, particularly men like Oscar De La Hoya, because he has a substance abuse issue, a well-documented one, they are targets. My thing is, if you're Oscar De La Hoya, you know this. Now, it's one thing when you're drunk and you're horny. Maybe he got high. I, I don't know. Uh, whatever the situation was, so he wasn't thinking straight. But when you're sober and you're thinking straight, when the night is starting out with two of these quote-unquote Instagram models, what do you think they are there with you for? Are they there because you have such a charming personality? Hey, check this guy out. Oh, he's twice my age and, you know, past his prime. Yeah, I want to hang out with this guy. 
They are there because you are a rich, famous person. And if they're engaging in drugs with you and they're, they're uh, willing to go to a hotel room with you, knowing that like you're a father, you're attached, maybe you know, you're married or you got a, a woman, whatever, they don't care about any of this. They just met you. They're going to a hotel room with you. What do you think, both sides, what do you think is going to go down here, right? So my position on this has always been the same. And I, guys, I live in Los Angeles. You know, I dabble in the entertainment industry. People talk. I've been to plenty of parties and talked to plenty of powerful people. There are a lot of people who figured this out a long time ago. There's this thing called a non-disclosure agreement. When you're having a freaky ass party, Derek Jeter, I'm just going to go ahead and put his name on blast because he does this. I know Derek Jeter does it because I know people who have been to his parties. You're going to go to his house and party with him. There's going to be drugs. There's going to be hookers. There's going to be strippers. There's going to be all kinds of freaky orgy shit going down at that house. You're signing a non-disclosure agreement as you walk in. Before the first bottle of whatever alcohol is opened, before the butlers arrive, before the catering arrives, before any of that shit arrives, you are signing a non-disclosure agreement so that whatever the hell goes down in that house stays there. Why doesn't Oscar De La Hoya, why doesn't somebody advising him tell him about the non-disclosure agreement? Because here's the thing. Yes, somebody might still try to extort you. They might still try to come out about you or whatever. But if they do that, you can take their ass to court. You can sue them. There are legal ramifications. There is action you can take. Right now, what does Oscar do here? He's got two Instagram models that shoved a tuning fork up his ass and pinched his balls with a pair of tongs or something, and it's on video somewhere, and they want $2 million. What can he do? Call them sluts? Okay. You still look like the weirdo here. They just look like two... Everyone already thinks these two girls are losers. Their career accomplishment is having a lot of followers on Instagram because they show their ass in photos. That's all they get to say. You're Oscar de la Hoya. You're a legend. You're a legend to not just Mexican-American fans, but the United States of America as a whole. You fought for this country in the Olympics and won a gold medal. You're one of the wealthiest uh, athletes, the biggest money-making athletes and crossover superstars in all of sports in America in the last 25, 35 years. And you have girls pinching your, your balls with tongs on video. So yeah, non-disclosure agreement, guys. That's all you got to do. It'll save your ass. All right? All right. Let's <laughs> stick it with Golden Boy promotions because, you know, I'm, I'm the Golden Boy shill, so I love talking about anything Golden Boy. Canelo Alvarez had a cyst removed from his right knee, I guess, over the weekend. He made a post on Instagram uh, with a photo from the hospital room. And he Eric Gomez, uh, I think it, it was a translation issue from Spanish to English, but it got posted through Eric Gomez's social media accounts, or I think some interviews got posted on some of these boxing sites, uh, that he said Canelo was having cosmetic surgery. Now, whether that was translated poorly on purpose for clickbait purposes... I can't say, but uh, it just looked odd. And then Canelo brings it up in his social media posts. You know, forget the erroneous post by Eric Gomez. I just had, you know, surgery on my knee. I'll be good in a couple weeks, blah, blah, blah. The whole thing, just the timing of it, the optics of it, just further adds to the extremely odd storyline with this entire situation. The way Golden Boy Promotions has handled it, their PR team is trash, or whoever's advising the PR team. Whoever's making the decisions when it comes to timelines and how they're going about some of this stuff is just, it's beyond bad now, it's just kind of odd. You're Canelo Alvarez, you have a hearing in Las Vegas, Wednesday, and a few days before you have surgery on your knee and post photos of it on Instagram, it just seems odd. You should look like you're serious about this hearing. You should be posting stuff on your social media of you in a suit with a team of lawyers in a room reviewing financial documents saying, we, we're getting our paperwork ready for this meeting. Or you uh, checking into your hotel in Las Vegas because you're going to attend the meeting in person. Not getting a cyst removed from your right knee a few days before the biggest meeting of your athletic life 
And this literally is the biggest meeting of Canelo Alvarez's athletic career. And you're getting a cyst removed from your knee. It's just, it's just so bizarre. This thing is, it's gone from tragic and, and a huge cock tease, a huge letdown to just weird. Only in boxing, man. It, it just, it's just such a weird look to me. I don't know. Okay. WBA. Now, I give them a lot of shit. Not as much as I give the WBC, <laughs> but uh, I do give the WBA a lot of shit. But they just ordered Anthony Joshua, Alexander Povetkin. And according to their bylaws, they should. So I give them credit here because Povetkin won an eliminator fight uh, two fights ago. And then he just knocked out David Price, which is like, you know, me knocking out, I don't know, a toddler. But still, here in that eliminator, and he should be in line for the WBA title which is one of the titles held by AJ. So they have until May 5th to reach an agreement, the two camps, or it'll go to purse bid. And guys, again, this is something I've been telling you about all year. I actually started talking about this last year as in relation to an AJ Wilder fight. It ain't happening in 2018. Uh, even a bigger reason here is because of Alexander Povetkin. He's a mandatory, and the WBA is mandating it. And AJ and his team want to keep that damn title. So guess what's going to happen? They're going to reach a deal. They don't want this to go to purse bid because then the Russian promoters are going to put up a crazy insane figure, like $50 million some odd dollars, to take the fight to Russia. AJ and especially Eddie Hearn do not want that. So I think they will move heaven and earth to reach a financial deal with Alexander Povetkin to bring that fight to London. I do not think this will go to purse bid unless it's, you know, a tactic by Team Povetkin to try to get this thing to purse bid, put up an insane amount of money, like they, the same situation they did with Vladimir Klitschko going back years and years, uh, several years, to bring that fight over to Russia. It could happen, but I think that Eddie Hearn and Matchroom, they're going to get it done and bring that fight to London. All right, some, uh, some fights coming together. Ryan Garcia will face Puerto Rican Jason Velez, and Gary Spike O'Sullivan will face Alex Rocha on May 4th, Friday, May 4th, at StubHub Center. And guys, read between the lines here. This is a Golden Boy Promotions card at StubHub Center, Friday before May 5th. So I think the writing's on the wall that we're going to see Golovkin fight at StubHub Center, May 5th. Now, the opponent will probably be Mar Vannis Martirosian, but perhaps it could be Yamaguchi Falcao, Brazilian fighter, uh, who is represented by Golden Boy Promotions. But I think that Martirosian would probably bring more fans in. However, all of this is determined, or it, it's based on what happens Wednesday during that April 18th hearing with the Nevada State Athletic Commission. If Canelo gets suspended for a year, that's going to blow everything up and we, we might see some changes. But I think he's only going to be suspended for six months. And then we're going to see Golovkin fight here in Los Angeles at StubHub Center. Now, Spike O'Sullivan was offered to fight with Golovkin, and we now know, turned it down because the purse was lowered. And the reason why it was lowered is because when this was a HBO pay-per-view, O'Sullivan would have got more money. But when it went to regular HBO, that slashed the budget basically in half for, for paydays. And O'Sullivan didn't think the beatdown was worth that paycheck. So instead, he's going to fight. He's still milking the Golovkin name. He's still going to fight the day before at the same venue. So, um, you know, he turned down that fight. That's what happened there. You know, a lot of you guys complain about the fight being on pay-per-view when it was a pay-per-view fight. Now, the fight is going to regular HBO and you want a bitch that they can't find an opponent who's, who's willing to come cheap enough. Some of you are bitching that Derevyanchenko isn't getting the fight. Well, Derevyanchenko ain't fighting for peanuts. So if Derevyanchenko gets on board, guess what? It's a pay-per-view fight. It's likely going to Vegas. So the tickets will cost more. It'll be on pay-per-view. Is that what you want? Is that what you want on, what, three three weeks notice? Uh, you you got to pick or choose a side here, guys. You can't bitch no matter what, which I guess boxing fans are going to do regardless. But come on. I mean, if this goes to regular HBO, 
even if it's a layup opponent, which we know it probably will be, that keeps Golovkin busy and he can fight Canelo in September still, everybody saves face. If Canelo is suspended for nine months or a year or something like that, possibly they change the date and fight Derevyanchenko in June or something like that. It's possible, but it's still it's a, it's a small possibility. It's more likely that they still fight May 5th, but in September, we see Golovkin fight Billy Joe Saunders or someone like that. As far as I understand it, based on the IBF's rules for unified titleists, this fight is not yet mandated by the IBF. So I don't know if Golovkin would be in line to be stripped. I think a lot of it, again, is predicated upon what's going to happen on Wednesday. Let's sit tight and wait. Once I have some concrete information, I will report it. All right, guys, that's it for news and notes. Oh, man, that was a mouthful. All right, uh, let's get into the review of what took place last week. Thursday, April 12th at the Fantasy Springs Casino in Indio, California. It was another Golden Boy Promotions card on ESPN2, and it was a pretty weak card. I have to admit, I did not watch it. I was busy. In the main event, Francisco Vargas scores a sixth-round retirement win over Rod Selka, who he dropped in the fifth round and pretty much beat down to the surprise of nobody. Selka wore America First trunks. I guess on his trunks it said America First, and it was in red, white, and blue, the colors of the American flag. And it was in the shape of bricks, symbolizing a wall. Pretty poor taste, and honestly, pretty stupid to uh, piss off a Mexican dude who's a much better fighter than you. I don't really understand why he was doing that. Uh, just just kind of dumb, just kind of tasteless and dumb. There was just no reason for it. Anyway, uh, completely one-sided fight that proved absolutely nothing, but it got Vargas some rounds and kept him busy. He is now 2-0 with two knockouts since that tough loss to Miguel Burchelt last year, but against extremely limited opposition. Selko came into this fight at 131 pounds, the second lightest weight of his career. He's kind of fought all over the place. Uh, for Vargas, you know, let's see him in there again you know, against someone who actually can fight back, right? This guy went on a tear for a while. I, I get it. He needed a break. He needed some soft touches, but... He's a very good little fighter. I want to see him in there with somebody that can provide some resistance and make for an entertaining fight. Also on this card, prospects Jonathan Navarro, who's a 140-pounder out of East LA. He's 14-0 now. Uh, he won Gennaro Gamez, another 140-pounder out of San Diego. He's 8-0 now. Aaron McKenna, Irish fighter from Ireland, 3-0. Uh, he's a welterweight fighter. They all win. And on Friday, April 13th, it was uh, another PBC on Fox Sports 1 card from the Minneapolis Armory in Minneapolis, Minnesota. In a co-main, Edna Cherry wins a unanimous decision in a 10-rounder against Dennis Galarza. And in the main event, Jamal James wins a majority decision over 10 rounds against Abel Ramos. The scores were 96-94 twice and 95-95. Uh, both of those cards, you know, hey, they were what they were. There were no real big cards on Saturday, last Saturday. It was pretty much a dead weekend for, for big boxing action. But there was a card in Yokohama, Japan on Friday. It was early Friday morning here in Los Angeles. ESPN2 picked this up. So if you got up at the crack of dawn, you could catch this. But uh, most of you probably went and found it on YouTube. In the co-main, upset special. Upset of the year so far, I would say. I can't think of a bigger upset so far this year. Christopher Rosales from Nicaragua scores a TKO 9 win over Daigo Higa. The previously undefeated Japanese knockout artist wins the vacant WBC uh, flyweight title. Higa failed to make weight. Came in at 114 pounds uh, the day before. Was immediately stripped of the WBC flyweight title. So that's why the title was vacant. In actuality, Rosales took this title from Higa. The scores were 79-73, 77-75, and 76-76 going into the ninth round. So Rosales, uh, one judge was going to rip him off. I, th I think the, the judge that had a 76-76, I have absolutely no idea what, what fight that judge was watching. He was going on his way to ripping Rosales off probably. But the other two judges had this fight scored correctly. Rosales was winning the fight. 
in the ninth round, he came out, Rosales did, and just, I, I want to say he threw like four or five, six straight left hooks, mostly downstairs, but a couple of them went upstairs. Higo was done. He was done. He had absolutely no energy, completely sapped, completely in survival mode, no answers. So his corner stepped in and, and stopped it. They threw the towel in about a minute into that ninth round. Not that Higo was uh, concussed or I think going to be knocked out. It's possible he was probably going to be knocked out later that round or maybe in the 10th or 11th. But his corner may have saved his career because it was turning into one of those beatings that changes a dude. It was really starting to turn into that. By about the 7th or 8th round, he got, was completely sapped of energy. From the people I've talked to who were there and people that were just around Higa, um, he tried to make weight. He couldn't. He has outgrown the flyweight division. Now, what we don't know is, was he trying to cut weight the wrong way? Or is he simply outgrown the division? Because he's a little guy. He's only five foot three, And I know flyweights are small. But he's basically Chocolatito's size. He's a little thicker. Actually, yeah, definitely thicker than Chocolatito, but about the same height. He's a little dude as far as his height. He's kind of squat. But what happens with Higa now? Because he's got to move up to 115. And that is a loaded division. Remember, this was his 16th pro fight. I think he was 15-0 at 15 knockouts going into this fight. He's still really a prospect. And now he's going into that super loaded division, and he looks super vulnerable in this fight. The bubble is burst. Is he ever going to be the same after this mentally, emotionally? I don't know. It's going to be interesting to watch, though. But this is what happens when you try to make an unnatural weight too long. That one, you know, one last fight, you try to make that unnatural weight and your body just doesn't quite react. Or if you're cutting weight the wrong way. A lot of these guys scientifically don't know what the hell they're doing when it comes to cutting weight. I've seen and heard of all kinds of crazy, dumb shit that fighters and trainers do to cut weight. I've heard of fighters putting ice cubes up their asshole, seriously, as a means to cut weight at the end of a, a camp. There are guys who really do shit like that. So I don't know what they were doing uh, you know, for Team Higa, but uh, the future, unknown for him. Now, for Rosales, the 23-year-old from Nicaragua, who is technically cousins with Roman Chocolatito Gonzalez's countrymen on his mother's side. They call him El Latigo or the Whip. Apparently, he sparred with Chocolatito before. Five foot six, 71-inch reach, really good size for that division. He made weight with no issue. I think he's going to defend this title for a while. He took advantage of this opportunity to the fullest, man. He started working the body early and often in this fight. He had visibly slowed Higa down by the middle rounds. What a great breakthrough for performance for this guy, who I think had lost three fights. Uh, never been stopped, but I think he had only traveled out of Nicaragua two or three times, and every time he did, he lost. I think he traveled to the UK, maybe, and lost some decisions. But kind of a, a fighter, you know, who's learning on the job and looked really, really good in this fight. He was fighting a spent bullet, but he did what he was supposed to do against a spent bullet. So good for him, man. Good for him. Now, in the main event, Ryoto Murata turned out a very, very good performance, was completely dominant in a TKO 8 win against Emanuele Felice Blandomera. He defends his WBC regular middleweight title. Uh, Murata completely dominated the Italian, who had done absolutely nothing to deserve a title shot. I don't know what the hell he was doing there. Murata is a huge star in Japan already, guys. Already. This fight drew an average of over 15 million viewers on the, the network there in Japan, Fuji TV. It did a peak of over 17 million. Japan's population is a little under 130 million. So this was a market share of the whole country. Over 13% of the whole country watched this fight against a completely unknown, undeserving journeyman level fighter. That'd be the equivalent of about 40 plus million people in the USA watching this fight. Think about that for a second. That's how huge of a star this guy is. Usually in America, I think we have about 110 million people or like one third of the country watch the Super Bowl. I think those are the ratings. Um, so this guy could do Super Bowl level ratings in Japan if he fought a big name. 
PBC pom-pom waivers. You still think top rank is quote-unquote on the way out? Grandpa Bob is on the way out when it comes to boxing? Look at the international talent they have cultivated. Michael Conlon is a star in Ireland. Ryota Murata is a star in Japan. Now, maybe these guys aren't elite pound-for-pound level fighters. I don't think they ever will be. But Murata's already won a title. Conlon will win titles. And these guys are massive stars in their homeland already. So uh, think about what they're doing internationally. You saw what Top Rank did with Zoshi Ming, who I don't even think was as good as Murata uh, or Conlon, nowhere near that level. But that dude did insane ratings. Over 100 million people would watch his fights. So for those of you who say Top Rank doesn't know what the hell they're doing, you're idiots. And this is just further proof of it. It's also further proof that boxing is more global and worldwide than it ever has been. Yes, it's a niche sport in the United States. It's what I call mainstream underground in the United States. I call it mainstream underground. Mainstream because everybody knows what boxing is, but underground because very few watch it. It's mainstream underground here. But in other parts of the world, there are fighters popping up, creating markets, markets that make money and do big, big ratings. So globally, this sport is in very good shape. Morado will next face uh, Brazilian southpaw Esquiva Felcal, the brother of Yamaguchi Felcal. The guy I said that I uh, told you earlier could possibly be in the running for Triple G May 5th. Esquiva Falco, uh, they're probably going to fight in Vegas this fall. And I like that move by Top Rank, bringing the Japanese whales to that market to try to build them up in Vegas, get them used to going to that market. It makes a lot of sense. And for these two, for Murata and Falcao, this will be a rematch. These two fought, not, not, not in the pros, but they fought in the amateurs in the 2012 Olympic Finals in London. Murata won 14-13 to 13 in a very controversial decision. So it'll be interesting to see what happens when these two fight. They have some history together. All right, guys, that was it for last week. Let's get into the preview of what's coming up this week. This Thursday, April 19th in San Juan, Puerto Rico, it's another Golden Boy Promotions card on ESPN2. It'll also be streamed live on ESPN3.com. Another card that's pretty lackluster. A lot of Puerto Rican prospects that are signed with Miguel Cotto's promotional company are on the undercard. In the main event, undefeated DC area fighter Lamont Roach, who is 16-0 with six knockouts, fights Orlando Cruz, Puerto Rican fighter, at 130 pounds, are scheduled for 10 rounds. Uh, Cruz is most known, for those of you who are like, where have I heard that name? Orlando Cruz is known for being the first openly gay boxer. Came out in 2012, active boxer, I should say. Uh, Very experienced pro. He had almost 200 amateur fights. He fought in the 2000 Olympics. He's 25, six and one with 13 knockouts as a pro. He's fought some very, very good fighters. Uh, Won some, lost some. But uh, I want to say he might have been the first openly gay athlete to come out in that era while they were active. I know that there was like a college football player who came out later and stuff like that. But uh, definitely the first openly gay boxer I can think of. So uh, that's his little claim to fame there. And for Roach, this is a pretty good step up opponent for him. Now, Saturday, April 21st in Poland, Tomas Adamek, who turns 42 years old this year, is fighting Joey Abel, a Minnesota fighter who's been KO'd seven times, as a headliner of a card on Polstat Sport pay-per-view. Adamek continues to fight on, despite the fact that he's taken a lot of punishment in a career with a lot of brawls. This guy was never known as a defensive slickster. He was known for having a good chin, but that chin has been cracked several times now in recent years. 52 and 5 with 30 knockouts as a pro. He's been KO'd twice. He went pro in 1999. Why is he still fighting? I don't know. He's still a big name, though. Still a big star in Poland. I guess that might have a little something to do with it. The dollars. Always about the dollars, right? Now, in the Echo Arena, Arena in Liverpool, Matchroom Sky, or Matchroom, Matchroom is putting on a car that's going to be... Uh, broadcast on sky but it's also going to be on the espn plus app here in america and i think this is the first bout that's going to be on this new espn plus app that's 4.99 a month and as far as i understand it you do not need espn the network 
to get the app. So you don't even need cable. I don't even think you have to be in America. I think if you have a phone and you can download apps and pay for it, anybody in the world can download this app and watch this fight. So it's kind of interesting where Top Rank's going here. Box Nation did this years ago, right? They did it over in the UK. They kind of started a lot of this streaming stuff. But Top Rank has a much better stable of fighters and they have been in the business a long time and know what they're doing. And I think them going to this app, which is part of the ESPN platform and they have this big deal with ESPN, is a smart move. Now, it all comes down to which fights go to the app, which fights stay in the network. All that's gonna be debated because there are certain fights that go to the app that some of you guys would rather see on the network and vice versa. Now, I don't know how they're gonna work all that out, but this first card from Liverpool, this matchroom card that is headlined with Amir Khan fighting Phil LoGreco, a Toronto fighter, that's gonna be the first one on the app. We'll see how it does. For those of you who have the app and for watching on the app, please let me know. Let me know uh, how the feed is, if there's glitches in it, or if it's crystal clear. If you uh, bump it from your phone onto your TV screen or your computer screen or whatever, let me know how that goes. If everything works seamlessly, I'm curious. I'm curious to see how this thing works out. As far as the actual fight, Amir Khan hasn't fought since being decapitated by Canelo Alvarez in May of 2016. So almost two years ago, hasn't fought. And this is his first bout since signing with Matchroom Sport. I think he did a three-fight deal with them, which we all know the third fight is going to be Kel Brook. So he's got to look good in this fight. He'll step it up a little bit in his next fight, and then it's going to be Kel Brook. LaGreco has gone three and three in his last six bouts, ranging from 149 pounds to 163 pounds. And that's from 2013 to present day. So I believe this is going to be a junior middleweight fight. I think this is going to be 154 pounds. Correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, I like Amir Khan big here. Uh, LaGreco, he can't punch through a wet paper bag, so Khan should be able to handle this no problem. Also on this card, Sean Dodd is fighting Tommy Coyle, the second defense of his Commonwealth lightweight title, and a bunch of UK prospects are fighting on the undercard, including a 2016 Olympians Anthony Fowler, and I'm going to butcher this name, Kwais Ashfak. <laughs> uh, I'm going to spell that. Q-A-I-S-A-S-H-F-A-Q. That way the YouTube Nazis can't uh, get at me and uh, demonetize this video because it sounds like ass fuck. <laughs> also, a 2012 Olympian, Natasha Jonas is fighting. And uh, Nigel Ben's son, Connor, Connor, Bond, uh, Connor Ben, I can't talk today, is fighting on the undercard as well. So it's a stacked card with a lot of prospects. And I don't know how many of them are going to be featured on the ESPN Plus app. I don't know if it's just going to be the main event. Again, those of you who watch it, let me know, man. Let me know how it goes. In Belfast, Northern Ireland, a Frank Warren card on BT Sport that is also going to be screening live on Showtime social media. How cool is this? Showtime picked this up, and they're not even putting it on the network. They're putting it on their Facebook page and their YouTube page. So you don't even need Showtime to watch this fight. How cool is that, man? Showtime is slaughtering HBO Boxing, slaughtering them. It's not even a contest anymore. It, it's not even close. Things like this are, are servicing the fans, getting them used to uh, the social media stuff. So at some point, when Showtime's ready to start charging for that stuff, they can. Carl Frampton fighting Nonito Donaire for the interim WBC featherweight title. Frampton is 2-1 as a featherweight. Right, He had the two fights with Santa Cruz and then a comeback fight where he won uh, recently after the loss to Santa Cruz in the rematch. Donaire is 3-1 and one as a featherweight going back to 2013. Now his best weight was like 118, 122. Frampton did a lot of great work at 122 as well. Donaire is five years older. He's the taller, longer fighter, the harder puncher. But you can make the argument that Frampton is the faster guy, both with his hands and especially with his feet and probably the better all-around athlete. How dedicated, though, is Carl Frampton to boxing these days? Is he training with 100% focus? Because to me, he just doesn't quite seem like the same guy after winning Fighter of the Year honors 
after being Leo Santa Cruz, after moving up from 122 to 126 and being beating Leo Santa Cruz. It kind of just seems like since he got that honor and had that big, big year, became a big, big star in his homeland, it's just kind of faded. He's plateaued a little bit, just doesn't quite look the same. Doesn't look as hard. Looks softer to me, just in his eyes. And it's interesting because Donaire, the same thing kind of happened to him. He was doing big, big things, and he won Fighter of the Year, and then he kind of plateaued and has never been the same. So there's eerie parallels between these two fighters, and I'm curious to see how it plays out. But just based upon their ages, their due dates, and all this, you got to favor Frampton by decision in this fight. I don't think he has the power to knock Donaire out. Donaire might have the power to get something done against Frampton, which could make this thing interesting, and there could be disaster if Donaire hurt and stopped Frampton because they got some plans. They, they're basically, he's got one foot out the door to retirement, Frampton does, and he's looking to kind of do a little two-year plan on his way to retirement, and that could all get shot to hell if Donaire hurts him or stops him in this fight. Donaire has a chance. He absolutely has a chance, but I like Frampton by decision in this one. In the co-main South African fighters, Alani Titi, is defending his WBO Bantamweight title for the first time against Argentinian fighter Omar Andres Narvaez. Narvaez lost a unanimous decision to Donaire at Madison Square Garden in 2011. He was KO'd in two rounds by Japanese uh, monster Naoya Inoue in Japan in 2014. So those were the two big losses on his resume. TT lost TKO5 to Maruti Batailane in South Africa in 2010. And he had a majority decision loss in Mexico in 2011, a split decision loss in Argentina in 2012. Those two losses, controversial, probably should have won those fights. But he has that one legit TKO5 loss in South Africa back in 2010. Either way, neither of these guys has lost in four plus years. I think this is a good matchup, man. Navias is five foot two, 64 inch reach, a southpaw. TT, way taller. Five foot nine, 72 inch reach, a southpaw. I favor him big in this fight. I think he could actually probably get a stoppage here. Now, there is a real deal sports and entertainment card at the King's Theater in Brooklyn. That's Evander Holyfield's promotional operation. I don't quite understand their business model. Evander Holyfield, originally from, I think, Alabama, but grew up and everything and really became a star in Atlanta. And I would figure that he would try to blow up boxing in Atlanta and bring boxing there. But they're operating out of New York, who already has plenty of promoters, from club-level club, club level guys to high-level guys. So I'm not quite sure what Real Deal Sports and Entertainment's long-term vision is for what they're trying to do. They do a lot of these New York cards. But anyway, if you're there in Brooklyn, King's Theater, in the main event, a fighter from Ghana, Duke Micah, who's 21-0 with 18 knockouts. He was a 2012 Olympian for Ghana, fighting a French fighter, Yoan Boyu, who is 41-5 with 26 knockouts. It's an eight-rounder. It's a Bantamweight fight, and that is the headliner. Boyu coming off a TKO3 loss to Naoya, Naoya Inoue last December. All right, and last but not least, at the Barclays Center in Brooklyn on the same night. So you got two cards going on Brooklyn on the same night. Doesn't make sense. Anyway, PBC on Showtime. And this is... My boy Rob Palmer brought this to my attention. He was at Dave & Buster's in Hollywood. For those of you who don't know what Dave & Buster's is, you get you UK guys. It's kind of like a, uh, a place where you could go and have a beer. It's like a sports bar, but they also have like video games and that kind of stuff all in one. And it's a national chain. But there's one here in Hollywood. And uh, one of my friends went up there and he saw posters for this weekend's Showtime card. He also saw posters for the recent card between um, that was headlined by uh, Jared Hurd and Irislandi Lara. So they're showing Showtime boxing at Dave and Buster's. How cool is that? It just further shows how Showtime destroys HBO in the fight game. I can't tell you the last time HBO, an HBO card was seen anywhere, anywhere in public, any bar, a sports bar. A hotel, unless the hotel had HBO, nothing like that. So for Showtime fights to be just regular Showtime, not pay-per-view, regular Showtime on a Dave & Buster's, 
How freaking cool is that? Really, really cool. Anyway, this is another triple header from Showtime. Really, really good card, man. Uh, Jamal Charlo, the one who moved up to middleweight, is fighting Hugo Centeno Jr. for the interim WBC middleweight title. It's Centeno, guys, by the way. I, I keep hearing people say Hugo Centeno. I don't see an O. Or I'm sorry, I don't see an I in the name. It's C-E-N-T-E-N-O. Hugo Centeno. Anyway, this is Charlo's second bout at middleweight. He's had He had one fight last year, and that was at middleweight. So this guy is basically going to have his second fight here. He's going to score a knockout win in this fight. He's fought two second, you know, tier level middleweights now after this Saturday. And there are people out there demanding Gennady Golovkin fight him on May 5th. There are people out there insinuating that Golovkin and his team are ducking Jamal Charlo or that he's deserving of a fight with Golovkin. What horseshit. Just ridiculously stupid. My question is, why isn't Charlo fighting on a headliner in Houston on network TV? The Charlos are from Houston. There's a growing scene there in Houston and Dallas, San Antonio, that area, with more and more gyms popping up, more and more young talent popping up. Charlo should be fighting Hugo Centeno, Mexican-American, down there in Houston at a, I don't know, a venue that seats about 8,000 or so. They could sell it out. And you could put it on Fox, CBS, whatever. You could do it as a warm-up to the Showtime card. You could do it, you know, one of those kind of late afternoon cards that runs right into the Showtime card. Why wouldn't you do it that way and build this guy up in his hometown? You know why? Because at Barclays Center, there's a guaranteed money, a guaranteed deal in place for PBC. Guaranteed money, site fees. Showtime, same thing. Financial issues are holding back the growth, stunting the growth of some of these fighters, and it's a damn shame because I'm a big fan of the Charlos, and I'm a big fan of Errol Spence. In the co-main, oh, just back, back to that uh, Charlo Centeno fight. Obviously, I like Charlo by knockout here. It'd be a moral victory for uh, Centeno to make it to the late rounds, right? He started his career as a, as a welterweight, only fought at middleweight recently. So uh, just the natural size and strength and athleticism of Charlo, who seems to be really streaking right now, he should get Centeno out of there by the fifth or sixth round. Now, in the co-main, Gervonta Davis is fighting uh, Jesus Quajar for the vacant WBA 130-pound title. My question is this. How the hell is this a title fight? How is this a damn title fight? Gervonta Davis started 2017 last year with a bang. Remember? Travel back in time one year, a little over one year. He fights Jose Pedraza in January. Knocks him out. Breakthrough, big-time performance, wins the 130-pound title. Goes over and has one defense in the UK to make some money. His promoter, Floyd Mayweather, sends him over to the UK where he can make a little bit more money in his first defense. Loses his title on the scale last August, fighting on the undercard of Mayweather McGregor on the shit show. So this guy in his last fight didn't make weight, couldn't make 130 pounds, Lost his title on the scale, yet the WBA, in their infinite wisdom, is sanctioning him for a vacant title at 130 pounds. Now, Quajar is coming off a split decision loss to Abner Mares in December of 2016 for the WBA featherweight title. Had no fights in 2017. Let me repeat that. No fights in 2017. So you got one guy who didn't even fight last year, and his last fight which is in 2016 was a loss and then you have another guy who lost his title on the scale in his last fight yet these two are fighting for the vacant wba super featherweight title will davis make weight i don't know will quasar make weight i don't know we'll see what happens but um not a bad matchup all things considered not a bad matchup but no way in hell this should be for a title Davis and his promoter have been on the outs recently. There's been some trash talk on Twitter. Javante Davis has tweeted some things and then very, very quickly deleted the tweet. But not before some of you out there have saved screened the tweets and sent it out. So uh, him and Floyd, basically what Davis has said is, you know, Floyd is mad at me because I won't do it his way. And I guess Davis is just another one of these entitled millennial pricks who doesn't want to put in the hard work. And say what you will about Floyd Mayweather, he hustled his ass off 
the first 10 years of his career to build himself up. He coasted the last 10 years, and there was some shady things going on behind the scenes with USADA and everything else, but he put in a hell of a lot of work early on to build himself up to that point. And I think the problem he's having now as a promoter is the guys he's signing are ignorant, unappreciative, entitled pricks who don't want to do it the hard way. So where does Javante Davis go from here? I don't think it's going to end well between him and Floyd Mayweather. We'll find out. Obviously, I like him big in this fight, though. He should win by knockout. Adrian Broner versus Jesse Vargas, main event. 12-round welterweight fight being fought supposedly at 144-pound catchweight. Why? I can't tell you why. There's no need for a catchweight, but that's what they're doing. Broner, who I consider the weakest four-division quote-unquote champion, he's really a titleist, in boxing history, at least in recent boxing history, had a rough 2017, man. He's coming off that loss to Mikey Garcia at 140 pounds. He won a very debated split decision over Adrian Granados prior to that. Then there's been all the legal problems, right? Grabbing a girl's ass in the mall or whatever the hell it was. You go back <laughs> a year or so, there was the bowling alley incident. This, this guy's a whack job. But he's fun to watch. It's fun to watch a train wreck. But when I say it's not going to end well with him, it's not going to end well with him at all. And I think it's going to end well, or not end well in, in, in terms of him dying, him being killed or murdered by some idiot in the street, or him going to jail for a long time. That's the way I see this. Before the age of 40, that's what's going to happen to Adrian Broner. And you're going to have a litter of children who don't have a father in their life. That's just what I see here. But when it comes to this fight, even though, you know, here's something that's interesting you guys might not realize. Even though Jesse Vargas looks younger, feels younger, Broner looks like he's 45. I mean, if you look at Broner right now, just in a, this whole black don't crack shit, what a crock of shit. <laughs> it, it, sometimes it cracks. LeBron James has looked 48 since he was in middle school. But Adrian Broner, not the healthiest of lifestyles outside the ring. That dude looks old, right? Him and Jesse Vargas are the same age, born in the same year. Hard to believe, but it's true. It's true. Uh, Vargas came back from the Pacquiao loss in November of 2016, had uh, a layoff of over more than a year, and beat Mexican journeyman Aaron Herrera via unanimous decision last December. So he hasn't been the most active guy in the world. Now, he looked great against Aaron Herrera, but it's Aaron Herrera. On paper, in theory... Even though Adrian Broner is past his best, he's faded, he should have enough skills to beat Jesse Vargas. However, Vargas is the fresher guy. Career trajectory probably go trending upward. Not skyrocketing, but slightly trending upward. He's 5'10". Broner's 5'6". He's got a 71-inch reach. Broner's 69-inch reach. If I'm Team Vargas, I'm telling him... Stick your damn jab out, work behind that jab, and fight going forward. Jab, 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 straight forward. Jab Broner to the chest, jab him, uh, of course, to the head, but jab him to the chest and push him back. Keep your right hand up to watch out for counter hooks. Watch the big right hand coming over the top because Broner will try to loop it over your jab. Just jab straight downhill into this dude's chest as he tries to dip. You aim for the chest, it'll become the chin in the later rounds. Broner cannot fight moving backwards. Cannot do it. If Jesse Vargas just jabs this dude to the chest for 12 rounds and pushes him back, he will win a unanimous decision. That's what I see happening here. If he fights stupid and gets in a brawl and isn't re defensively responsible and lets Broner get some of those looping counter shots in, Broner's got a shot, but I just can't see Broner fighting backwards against a bigger guy like this. He's just never been able to do it. A lot of people talk about the skills and talent of Adrian Broner. Guys, he's just not as good as some of you think he is. He's just not. Skilled guy, but the blueprint's been out on Broner for a long time. Make him move backwards and throw more punches than him. Fight very, very active. And yeah, if Vargas throws seven, 800 punches in this fight and forces Broner backwards on the back foot, he wins in the Amos decision. It's, it's that simple.
A bunch of prospects are also on this undercard from Brooklyn, Northeast region of United States, Kazakhstan, Dominican Republic, and Argentina. Also on Sunday, April 22nd, from Ekaterinburg, Germany, there is a card, or I'm sorry, Germany, Russia, Ekaterinburg, Russia. There's a, a card there with several Russian prospects. So if you can find a stream of that, you might want to check it out. Several undefeated Russian prospects. All right, guys, that's it, man. Uh, so let me know what you think. Comment below, like, share, subscribe. Get the word out about the podcast. Go over to iTunes and drop a rating and a review. Guys, we appreciate all the support so, so much. I'll see you at the fights.